Friends, not long ago, I asked you to let me know what songs motivate you and get you going. And I must say that a lot of you have really great taste. Jonathan loves I'll Take You There by the Staple Singers. Disco fan Sarah says Sherilyn's To Be Real. I love that song so much. It reminds me of actually my early days of going out to bars and clubs. Catherine claims that Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra has been scientifically proven to be the happiest song ever. That is so interesting. Also, I would love to meet the scientists that were spending their time doing that. Please, if you are a scientist that worked on this experiment, get in touch. All right, we're going to get a Spotify playlist going of all these songs. So follow Don't Ask Tig on social media so you don't miss it. Thanks to everyone who wrote in. Remember to get your tickets for Don't Ask Tig live on Zoom with Fortune Themester and May Martin. It's on Tuesday, September 12th, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to don'tasktig.org slash live for tickets and information. And you can also see me in person on tour in the following cities. I'll be in Torrington, Connecticut, September 15th, Rochester, New York, September 16th, Wilmington, Delaware, September 17th, Colorado Springs, Colorado, September 25th, Breckenridge, Colorado, September 28th. I'll also be doing a European tour in October and then Brooklyn, New York, November 4th to tape my next stand-up special. Go to tignotaro.com to get all ticket and show information. And one more thing, please listen to my brand new podcast, Handsome, with co-hosts Fortune Feimster and Mae Martin. Every week we get a question from a friend like Nina West, Kenan Thompson, Sarah Silverman, and Jimmy Fallon. So make sure to subscribe to Handsome and listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm off next week, but I'll be back on September 6th. Now please enjoy the show. Well, I just remember you thought this guy was hot and you were like, Tig, I did an ad in the back of a paper. I didn't and do he... it. Wait, 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 wait. I didn't do no? an ad. I did a missed connections. But okay, that's whatever. Not, that's different than you're making it sound like I offered money. It was missed connections on Craigslist, Tig. Okay, whatever. That's an missed... ad. That's not an ad. <laughs> Ad implies payment. Okay, well, here's what's horrifying is I've told this story a million times, and I've told everyone that you put an ad in the paper. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro. Wondering at what point old episodes of this show become advice of yesteryear. Joining me is an Emmy and Peabody award-winning writer, producer, and creator. 
She's the voice of Jesse in Big Mouth and has written for shows like Dead to Me and Transparent. She also show ran Showtime's I Love That for You. Her latest New York Times bestselling book is titled I'll Show Myself Out. Jesse Klein, the love of my life. Tig. Welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Fire of my loins, love of my heart. <laughs> How my day has turned just seeing uh, your little face and hearing your little voice. Thank you for yes. having me on your pod. I'm really happy to see you again. I'm thrilled. Mm-hmm. Every, it's new every time. It really is. Now, you and I came up in stand-up together decades ago. I guess you're happy to date me, so to speak. Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. decades ago. You were way more successful at it than I, but we knocked around in some of those same places. And you were also an assistant. I was. To the talent executive at Comedy Central. So you'd answer the phone, and I I remember whenever I would call him... My friend Jesse from the Stinky Clubs <laughs> would answer. <laughs> Tig is referring to our beloved Chris Young, mm-hmm. who, yes, was my boss. It was my first real job out of college. He was specifically obsessed with you. Like, you were his favorite, favorite, favorite. And he had a lot of favorites. Oh, uh, well. And knew every comedian in the country. And he was just like, Tig is the funniest. Oh, he is the best. And um, he is the first person that put me on the television. Yeah, I, th- I think that he actually mm-hmm. was. But yeah, so I would do stand-up at night, and then I would work at Comedy Central during the day. And it was sort of like when um, it's like when you see a dog holding its own leash or something. <laughs> something kind of meta about it. <laughs> you know that feeling you get? Yeah, it is so cute when you see a dog that's taking itself out Staying, for a walk. Oh, nothing. I mean, a dog in a bandana makes me as happy. Yeah. Let's talk about your new book. I mean, you told me that you're not gay. You tell me that, first of all, every time I see you. I, and I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I lead with it in a trying to prove something way. Well, then what is with you writing about how you might end up marrying a woman? Yes. I wrote a chapter in my most recent book called I'll Show Myself Out, mm-hmm. called My Future Lesbian Wife, in which I just allow myself to imagine might things be a little better if I could mm-hmm. just find a way to let love in mm-hmm. via that direction. Now, the update since that book was published is that my husband and I are in the midst of a divorce. <gasps> oh, oh, no. I know you liked him so much. You don't know who he is. <laughs> I do. I've met your husband. Yeah, you have met my husband. He is very nice. But we're not going to be married anymore. Oh. And it was mutual and amicable. Okay. I love that I dropped a bomb in the middle of your podcast. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm sad to hear it, but happy if you're both happy. And then I think I immediately go, oh. Now I understand the chapter. (laughs) All of this to say, I was noticing that I feel like I was seeing a trend amongst friends my age who are getting divorced from men and then were pivoting to relationships with women. And they all seem to be having a great time. (laughs) And I know that this, observation of mine is not a scientific paper. Hmm. I'm just saying the door could maybe be open one day. I don't know. Oh my gosh. You're going to get so many (laughs) dates out of this episode. Well, why do you think I'm here, Tig? (laughs) (laughs) I did a a story in in stand-up recently about how I had to be hauled out of my house in the middle of the night by this gorgeous fireman with huge (gasps) muscles. What? And it felt so good in his arms. 
I was yeah. like, oh my gosh. And so I understand. Like what I say to the audience is, it can go every which way, attraction to people or an openness to hop the fence, like no judgment, anybody. You never know. And I will say the one thing that keeps me thinking I've got some straight left in me is that I mm -hmm. did not have to get hauled out by a fireman, but I did <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> I did recently have my first ever colonoscopy. Oh, I was on the gurney in the little waiting area. And then they're like, okay. Robert's going to wheel you into the thing. Hmm. And Robert, I think, is kind of like your muscly fireman. Oh. Is just like a hot, super strong male nurse. Are you slightly like, on drugs at this point? And, and by, by the way, you don't have to say male nurse. I think you know I do. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till I tell you about the female doctor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was on a flight that had a female pilot. I Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do need to know if you had a female uh -huh. pilot. It's really yeah. rare. Uh-huh. Anyways, Robert was so hot and was so sweet and so tattooed. And I was like, oh. You like tattoos? I, sometimes. Okay. It just felt nice to have this big, strong man wheel me in my gurney. It was like being pushed in a stroller. I just felt, <laughs> it felt nice. And that's what's sexy. It was so sexy. Yeah. The love of my life <laughs> is in this stroller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he had to put that thing in my mouth because they were also going to do, um, God, you're like, can the podcast get any sexier? What's it called when they have to put a two? Tracheotomy? No. What's the? No. No. When they're, <laughs> they also have to put a tube down your throat <laughs> to check your esophagus. Wait, they just put like a loop through your, uh. <laughs> no, it didn't loop. <laughs> it wasn't a loop. I don't it's two, know. It's two separate tubes. <laughs> Anyways, take what other questions do you have? That was really it. I, <laughs> I was just curious how your sexuality was going and your colonoscopy. Interested in women and Robert from yes. colonoscopy. Same. I'm happily married <laughs> and really, really, uh, you know, thinking about this fireman that carried me in his arms. Don't you feel embarrassed when you see a fireman, though, and you're like, they're just, it feels like such a cliche to find them so hot, but it's not really on us because they just keep being so hot. I know. It is really not our fault. It's, it's not it, our These fault. guys showing up in suspenders and rubber boots, how are we possibly? <laughs> now, should I be asking, are you okay? I'm fine. But if you think the past 10 years have been <laughs> smooth sailing... Why, did You're something wrong. happen to you? I'm just kidding. <laughs> did Nothing you has happened to me. <laughs> oh, right. The thing. Yeah, I've just it, it's just been sailing along. <laughs> like ice. Now, there is an essay where you talk about creating little books as a tool to help your son yes. deal with transitions. Tell me about these. Okay. People have told me, uh, it makes me very happy, people have told me, that they use this tool, that it worked. I wanted to come right out and say, I, I am not the creator of this tool. Our lovely preschool director had taught me about this thing that you can do if you're about to go through any kind of potentially challenging little experience for your child. She was like, you just make a little book for them about it in advance. And like, you know me, I was like, 20 pages. She's like, no, girl, we're talking <laughs> six sentences or whatever, but it's a little book uh -huh. and you just 
break down into the simplest possible terms, like what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. If it's like moving to a new house, it's like, this is our house. We're going to move out of it. This is a picture of our new house. And then here's the key to every, to all of the little books is you say, what's going to be the same and what's going to be different and why it's all going to be okay. Wow. And when she told me about this, I realized I just want someone to make little books for me. Like that's all any of us ever need is to know what will be the same, what will be different, how will it all be okay. And so I've made little books for him about like when we were going to go on an airplane for the first time. It was like, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and then we're going to land there. And, you know, you leave out the (laughs) like, hopefully we'll get there safely. (laughs) Um, But I've made them for planes. I made them when he had to have like a little like adenoid tonsil surgery but of course, this is also for you, basically. It's your fear. mainly for me. <laughs> mainly yeah. for me. But um, it did sort of create a little psychological shift in the way I deal with my own anxiety. Right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have to kind of walk myself through a little book. But it really works with kids. It's kind of wild how well it works. All joking aside, can joking see aside. It, it. Well, it makes me think about just being in conversation with a kid or your partner or whoever it might be, a coworker, that it is helpful to say, here, this is coming up or this change might be happening and here's how it's going to be the same and here's how it's going to be different. That's so simple. It's and so simple. So helpful, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I am, um, I would say, uh, genetically really wired to not like surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, we all just want to have a sense a little bit of what's coming. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like Robert wheeling me in in that gurney. So oh, there's going to be a tube down your throat and a tube no. up your ass. <laughs> I never got my fireman's name. So all, all he is is oh, no. like, I know. So Could you track him down? I probably could. Right if I thank you. Yeah, if I looked up my medical record and just was like, who, let me see who carried me out of the house. Or your local fire department, like your local firehouse. Yeah, I guess when I have some free time, I will. <laughs> Wait, but can I tell you for real uh-huh. though? Yeah. When my son was like a little over one year old, he had um, a febrile seizure, mm. which is like, I don't know. I hope your kids didn't have it. It's it's not serious. It's like just very scary. And it's something yeah. that happens with little kids where their fever like gets too high too fast and they have a seizure and it's like terrifying, but kind oh of my ultimately gosh. meaningless. Like, yeah. They're fine. Yeah. But when it's happening, it's so scary. Uh, so anyway, this happened to our child. We thought, oh my God, this is the end. We call 911 and fireman came. I was too anxious to notice. Check them out. It was hot. <laughs> but, but they were all so amazing. And I rode in the back of the ambulance with one of them. Anyways, we were so grateful to how great they were that we, and we knew they came from our local firehouse that we like took our son to like find them. And we brought them like a gift basket. That's so sweet. Months later. And we were just, they were the best. Firemen are the best. I think it'd be a little awkward if I showed up, you know, looking the way I do with a because basket. Because not a little boy who also wants to see a big fire engine. Yeah, yeah. It's just me. Tig, I think you should do it. But this happened in like 2019 or something. Oh, it's that long ago? Yeah. So if I hunted him down and brought him a basket and was like, here. I bet he'd love it. Okay. 
I don't think it's ever too late for a thank you. Oh, I don't, I don't either. I just feel like it would be. You just feel like you're too busy to go like thank the fireman that saved your life. (laughs) (laughs) Just too many like cool, like stand up dates coming up to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, indeed. Cool, 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 cool. But I don't know that he remembers me. Or maybe he's moved on to another firehouse. Okay, fair enough. Just saying. Sounds like one of us went out of the way to thank them and someone else. Yeah, well, there you go. Kind of sexualize them in their memory forever. (laughs) Classic Tig. Classic Tig. (laughs) Objectified and moved on. Well, and speaking of moving on, yes. do you enjoy giving advice? Do people go to you for advice? Do people go to me for advice? You know, it's really shining a light on the fact that I think the answer is no. <laughs> but um, I do love to give it when asked. Okay. I'm ready. Jesse, the first question was sent in from a listener with a creative block. Okay. This is my area. Let's hear it. Allison writes, hi, guys. I was wondering if you have any tips for breaking out of a creative funk. I've considered myself a writer practically my whole life, but my inspiration has been down and my anxiety has been way up. I want to get back to writing again, but it's hard to come up with any great ideas. Do you have any advice for this particular issue? I would be honored to hear it. Thank you so much in advance. This sounds like a very nice, earnest person. That's having a struggle. Who among us? Yeah. Um, Do you have anything out of the gate? I feel like I have two thoughts that are kind of opposing, Mm. but they're the two strategies that I kind of try to employ. I don't know. I think very famously, like you're just the general advice about this is like, you got to just force yourself to sit and it's like going to the gym and do the exercise. I don't know what Allison writes, but you just set a time and at 1030 every day, you're going to sit and try to at least like free write or just write blah, blah, blah for like Mm. an hour. Mm -hmm. And that will help. And earlier in the morning, the better. Although I also do think it's good to try to exercise a little in the morning before you write. Mm -hmm. I find it's helpful. The equal and opposing piece of advice is that sometimes you also just have to walk away and stop trying, I think, for a little Mm -hmm. while and go do something else. For sure. And let things just sort of marinate in the back for a while. Yeah. What do you do, Tig, when you're stuck? I really allow myself to take a break. I also think there really is something to just kind of being alone, thinking, and not being bombarded by people and work or even social engagements to just really spend some time alone, even if it's taking a walk. A lot of people, they have to put headphones in or they have to be looking at their phone when they're alone. But if you make yourself go take a walk and you don't have anything coming in, you're you're just alone thinking. I find that so helpful. Whenever I come back from a, a walk or a bike ride, I'm... Take so active. I yeah, after skydiving and uh, <laughs> going to the moon, I, I feel so inspired. <laughs> I have a a good friend who is a writer, and what she does when she wakes up in the morning, she has her coffee and sits next to her bookshelf and just pulls a book off and starts reading. She doesn't start from the beginning. She just grabs anybody's book, opens to any chapter, and just starts reading. And she'll read for half hour, hour, and then she said that gets her inspiration going without putting the pressure on 
oh, I'm going to sit down. This is the book I'm reading. You know, these are books that maybe she's already read. She just pulls it off the shelf and and just starts reading. That's really cool. I've never thought about doing that. I'm going to try it. Yeah, I think it's such a, a great idea. It is. And then she said kind of inevitably, after reading somebody else's material, she'll kind of get her own head going. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I do think like letting in something that you haven't read or watched or just taking in like other people's work for fun. Yeah, that's how like I I'm such a fan of Maria Bamford's and Ugh, when I oh my gosh, she's just the best. I feel embarrassed that I call myself a stand-up, <laughs> you know, when I see her when I see her kill or even if I see her bomb, I'm like she is Flawless to me. Flawless. And, no and notes on Maria. No notes. I mean, how? How? I don't understand. If you're alive on this planet, uh, a perfect human. Yeah. And so when I see her, I have that simultaneous feeling of I am the worst comedian alive, and then it immediately kicks me into gear of like I got to work harder. Yeah. On my writing. Yeah, I feel that with stand-up too all the time. I mean, I don't really do stand-up anymore, but I remember that feeling when you see people who are just so good yeah. and you feel that, you're like, I'm so f- jealous. But you also get so many ideas yeah. watching them. Yeah. So anyway, Allison, writer to writer, that's what Jesse Klein and I think. Good luck. Good luck, Allison. Jesse. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a break and return shortly with more questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause. And rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Jesse, our second question was sent from Anna. Anna writes, I inherited some of my mom's jewelry, a diamond necklace and a diamond and sapphire ring. They are beautiful. Must and I- be nice. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Hello, girl. <laughs> Continue. Oh, my gosh. They are beautiful, and I would like to wear them. However, I don't know how. My husband and I are not fancy folk. And my days include taking my daughter to the bus stop, going to the grocery store, etc. It seems odd to don diamonds in my leggings and sweatshirt while doing these tasks. What do I do? Um, I love that Anna's thinking so hard about this and is thinking about how she's presenting in the world. And and also, again, congratulations on inheriting this jewelry. <laughs> I always feel, and I also really do think it's like nice that she wrote in and asked because I feel very embarrassed thinking about like questions about fashion. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've always struggled in that area. But it seems to me that everybody's rocking a high-low moment these days, Anna. And 
a diamond with a sweatpant is exactly what some of our most celebrated clothing wearing people are doing. I say yes. Yeah. Just do it as is. I also think that if you don't feel like you have the relationship or comfort with dressing like or wearing that with your husband, maybe you have a friend that you could get dazzled together. Uh, Is that right? Bedazzled? Bedazzled. Bejeweled. I could see that being really fun to have like a night out with fancy... Footloose, fancy, free? Clothing, diamond earrings, sapphire ring, you know, and head out with a friend. If your husband's like, oh, I'm going to be dressed like Adam Sandler every day and night, you know? Bless. And fine. But if you want to head out with a friend that maybe wants to bedazzle it up with you, that's another option. The other thing, just to also shout out to a jeweler who I I love. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, Anna, you feel about the exact details of the jewelry you've inherited. But, you know, sometimes you can get beautiful stones you've inherited reset Mm. into perhaps a more modern or casual setting. And there's a woman named Catherine Bentley. Hello, Catherine. Who does beautiful custom work resetting um, like someone might have gotten a slightly stuffy diamond ring from a grandmother or a great aunt. Mm. And she can modernize it for you in a way that might make it more easy to wear on a day-to-day basis. She's very nice. And is she from the Bentley car family? Uh, (laughs) She she also (laughs) makes Bentley cars. She invented the Bentley car and she works on them most of the time. Okay. So if that's in your price range, Anna, let us know how this goes. Jessie's got great taste. If you could see her right now, Uh, she's the one to listen to. All right. (laughs) And literally in a sweatshirt, but also wearing some jewels. And has her earbuds hanging uh, below her chin. That's what I was told to do. Well, thanks for writing in. Jesse. this next question is from a listener in Seattle. Jessica writes, I've been married for 16 years to a wonderful man who is incapable (laughs) of planning anything special (laughs) for my birthday or Mother's Day. He gets stressed at even the suggestion that I'd like him to do anything. But even a few small gestures would mean a lot. How do I get him to do a few special things on these days so I don't have to continue feeling disappointed when they roll around? Oh, Jessica, I've got strong feelings about this one. Oh, see, I don't have any feelings. (laughs) Yeah, but you felt that way coming into the podcast, I feel like. (laughs) Um, Here's my strong feeling. Mm. Plan it yourself, girl. I just think a lot of men, maybe, and some people, (laughs) in addition to men, People, men struggle in this area. And I think um, I have kind of taken the reins over saying what I want for Mm -hmm. my occasions. Mm -hmm. Even when I was with my husband, who is really, he is a good guy and very generous. But I would do so much for Mm -hmm. his birthdays and holidays. And I just wasn't getting what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And not that I wanted that much. But now... (laughs) Bentley. This is how I met the Bentleys. (laughs) I just think you, if there's something you want Mm -hmm. as a gift or a gesture, you can just tell him what you want. I think tell him what to do. If he's feeling anxiety, maybe just give him that guidance and then you get what you want. He doesn't Mm -hmm. feel stressed or worried about what to do. He's been given marching orders and maybe you just have to let go of the idea that it's going to be a surprise. Yeah. I was going to say, I think if you remove that element of you want 
that surprise, it's probably going to continue to let you down. I remember I was in a relationship and I felt very much like I could not possibly live up to or give her what was needed. I don't know. I remember my therapist saying, if you picture a pie chart and one partner is giving 75%, then there's really kind of only room for 25% to be given. Interesting. Yeah. That you're taking, by giving so much, taking up the space for your partner to occupy giving-wise? Possibly. I mean, that's that's what he's... I just thought it was an interesting perspective because I felt like my girlfriend at the time... Obviously, very generous. Obviously. And well, I mean, she did everything. Like if if I had people over for a dinner, she would redo her fireplace and she would do, you know, what? have her landscaping redone. I'm oh a little God. bit exaggerating, but, you know, she was like, oh, I can't have people coming over. And it was kind of like more about her with how her house looked and stuff. But I was always like, I just want some friends to come over and have some pizza. Yeah. And then when it was time to give her something or do something, I felt like I couldn't really do what she was doing. Because she had created sort of a level of like perfectionism around the giving and you felt like you weren't going to hit it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't don't know know either. I mean, I've never made anyone happy. I don't know. (laughs) It just made me think about that. And I was curious what your feeling was with the, when somebody gives X amount, there's only room for this amount. All jokes aside, I really have to think about that one. I'm going to drag that one back to the nest after the pod and get back Mm -hmm. to you in like 12 months. Okay. Well, anyway, Jessica, starting now, your husband has about nine months to start planning for Mother's Day. So let's hope he steps up. We're going to be taking a quick break to answer a question that came in our therapy etiquette inbox. This segment is where we answer those awkward questions we all have as people getting the professional help we need and deserve and is sponsored by BetterHelp. Today's question was sent in from a listener named Andrea. Andrea writes, I've been feeling attracted to my therapist for the last few months. I've done some Googling, and it seems like it's a pretty common phenomenon. My question is, should I address it with my therapist or just wait it out? Hey, Andrea, thanks for reaching out and being open about this. Like you said, feeling attracted to your therapist is indeed a common experience. Therapy is an intimate process, and that can cause feelings like attraction that may not be comfortable for you to feel. The good news is that your therapist is trained to deal with situations exactly like this. By addressing this with your therapist, once you're ready, you're going to be able to have a conversation that will be helpful for you as a patient and for the therapist as an experienced professional. I think having an open and honest conversation about your feelings can be beneficial for both of you, you and your therapist. If you trust them with your innermost thoughts, then you can trust them with this too, I think. If you're worried about what to say, remember that you can always just journal about it or write out your thoughts in advance. But remember that therapists are 
bound by professional ethics, which include maintaining boundaries and prioritizing your well-being. They won't judge you for having these feelings, but they will work with you to ensure the therapeutic relationship remains focused on your growth and healing. So again, it might be embarrassing, but you're human and this kind of thing does happen. I hope that helps, Andrea. And as always, thank you to our therapy etiquette sponsor, BetterHelp. If you have any questions about the unspoken rules of therapy etiquette, share them with us by calling 833-275-8444 or visiting don'tasktig.org slash contact. And now back to the show. Jesse, our last segment involves two questions and it's it's called best advice worst advice what is the best advice you've ever been given i feel like over the years i've been given a lot of good advice the one thing that for whatever reason is popping into my head right now it's a little business specific but i do think it could apply to all of life when everyone around you is telling you to like speed up to make a decision like we need an answer on something like mm-hmm. and here's all the reasons why you have to give it to us right away it is like the exact moment that you need to slow down. Mm-hmm. Just listen to yourself. Don't let yourself get rushed into saying yes or no to things. And in fact, just the more you're getting rushed to do it, the more you have to say, I can't be rushed. Mm-hmm. It was very helpful advice. I feel like it comes into play every so often in my life. And I think about that piece of advice. That's great. What's the worst advice you've ever been given? Oof. Do you have one while I think about mine? Well, I always go to, um, you know, in the days of, as we've mentioned, the little angel in the world, Chris Young. Sweet pea. Yeah, little sweet pea of a human. I had so much support from him, but I got so much feedback from the rest of the comedy business world that I was too low-key and that I remember submitting my... um, stand up to somebody to potentially be my manager. And his response was that nobody's going to tune in to see Tig on a Thursday in prime time. You're going to end up being a a TV writer. You'll be behind the scenes. And I remember thinking, okay, well, I guess that's my future because he knows how things go, even though that's not really my interest or passion. And I just thought, well, I'll just keep doing stand-up until I have to do what I actually am not until passionate that about. Thursday rolls around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right off. I just kept doing stand-up and then, you know, now I have a podcast. I mean, I think you have a bit more than that. <laughs> I, I have given some terrible advice. Oh, I'm sure. I have two stories Okay. That I do love to tell. (laughs) Let's hear them. Everyone get your coffee. They're related, guys. (laughs) Settle in. (laughs) Buckle up. No, (laughs) they're similar stories. I'll just tell them quickly. And I will say... No, slow down. Remember? Slow (laughs) down. Take your own advice. (laughs) This comes from me having grown up in a very risk-averse household. Oh. Parents who were... Had come from there a lot of struggle and just wanted me to be okay. And so I'm just to say, like, mm-hmm. 
and it took forever for me to like jump off of my Comedy Central golden handcuffs train. So I just saw the world through this lens. Okay, so when I was younger, Uh my best friend's little sister was very good friends with Claire Danes. You may have heard of her. I I am familiar. So we would like, she was like in our friend group. We were like 12, 13 years old. Maybe I'm 15, she's 12. Anyways, she, we were, I remember we were all sitting around at a diner Hmm. and we were talking about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And Claire, you're 12 sitting in a diner. Yeah. Okay. Is that weird? I don't know. I guess I just picture, you know, people. I don't know, having runny eggs and drinking black coffee. I know, we would just go, oh, we would just go after school and we would just sit and hang out for four hours. Anyways, New York City, I don't know. Oh, right, right, sure. Little Claire, little me, and we're going around saying what we want to be. And Claire goes, I think I want to be an actor. Uh huh. And she was already, you know, was taking classes and doing stuff, but had not yet become Claire News. And I was like, Claire, that's really nice, but (laughs) I just, and you should try. Uh-huh. But I do think you need to have a good plan B. <laughs> 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 Told that to Claire Danes. Are you still in touch with Claire? Would you believe? No. <laughs> then in college, um, freshman year, I went to Vassar College. and um, Hello. Freshman year, excuse us. Uh, Meryl also went there. So did Lisa Kudrow. But freshman year. Go on. Mark Ronson, another name you might be familiar <laughs> with. <laughs> Very celebrated DJ, music producer, multiple Grammys. For sure. Lovely. And and you came up with these people, with Meryl and Lo- Ronson, <laughs> Ronson, the graduating class. The graduating class. Ronson couldn't have been nicer. We were not close, close friends, but everyone knew him. Popular guy, lovely. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of freshman year, he announces he's dropping out and he's going to go give just being in music a try. You gave him advice too? I was like, Mark, (laughs) I wish you the best. (laughs) But I don't know. I'm just concerned. I feel like you should finish the four years. Are you being serious? What a nerd that you're going around. nerd. (laughs) The worst. Nerd alert. The worst. You're going around telling everyone. Everyone, it's just like... You know, maybe just have like a lot. Were you answering Chris Young's phone and telling everyone (laughs) to go find something else to do? It's just so crazy. Bat chance, okay? Two two different true artists of our time. Yeah. I love that you're answering Chris Young's phone and denying yourself your own career in stand-up. Because you're like, I've got my plan B, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I want to do comedy, but uh, I'm answering phones, okay? So, well, okay, in my case, mm-hmm. I truly just needed the money. However, I do, it's wild to think about the fact that I had two encounters with two true geniuses. And you're just going around <laughs> telling everyone no. I didn't, no, not everyone, just those <laughs> two specific people. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to Maria Bamford, see what you told her. You know what? I never told Maria Bamford to do that. Okay. It's so embarrassing, but I figured I would share that with all of these people. It's awful. It's humiliating to think about it, and that's why I have to tell her. And have you run into Mark? Are you still in touch with Mark? 
No, I was never uh, really friends with Mark, and uh, we're not. Nor in the same were you with Claire, and you're still. I was with Claire. I was with Claire. Okay. We were all hanging out. We grew up in Soho. Okay. Well, when I see Claire, what a I mean, what a great actress. <laughs> What a great actress. And I mean, at such a young age. Oh my gosh. You know what you should do? You should write a movie, (laughs) cast her in it, and have Mark do the music. (laughs) I have a feeling it might already be happening. Didn't he just, he just did the music for some little independent movie um, that I think is called Barbie. Well, that's all he could ever hope for uh, is doing just little trying, music trying for indie film. Little indie film called Barbie. Jesse. Tig. I have to tell you, <laughs> which I tell you whenever I see you, I love you so much. And I am so thankful that you did my show. Oh, Tig, I love you so. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to have done this with you today. And we'll just see what kinds of romantic propositions I get. I know. I'm excited for you. And is there anything you would like to mention? No. Any promo- just your books and uh, all the television shows? And Yeah. Okay. Well, buy and read everything Jesse Klein. And I love you dearly. Not queerly. Love you dearly. Not queerly. Not yet. Not yet? We'll see. All right. All right, all right Jesse. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shayna Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson and Josh Savageo. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Maria Wortel and Lou Barron. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky.
Hi, I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, <laughs> we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. <laughs>